The theme of this year really for Victory Baptist Church is Jesus' simple command, follow me, follow me. Last week we talked about that. Uh, It's his command to his disciples, come follow me. It says, I will make you fishers of men. And simply following Christ. There is an invitation that Christ does give to those. And first of all is to believe on him. And then second is to follow him. And as we follow him, we are then sent uh, as well. So what a blessing that is. So we're going to look at another passage today of one of Jesus' commands to follow him as well. It's actually mentioned in different ways in different parts of the Gospels. And so we're kind of looking at that, especially here this month, and setting the theme for the year for that. So follow me. So with that, I invite you again, uh, Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to begin uh, reading in verse uh, 20, 24. Let's do 24. Matthew 16, beginning in verse 24. And we'll read a few verses here. It says, Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So today we're going to be looking at the simple command, take up your cross and follow me. As I was thinking about this passage here, and especially in verse 24, this is where we're going to spend most of our attention, is in verse 24. But again, it says, If any man come after me, will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. As I was thinking about that, I says, Well, what's a good uh, kind of like a starter think, a thought about that? And then all of a sudden it popped in my mind, there was a, a man by the name of Arthur Blessed. Arthur Blessed, he, back in uh, eight, 1968, uh, Arthur Blessed was a, um, he had a little uh, ministry in, near Hollywood, and he began uh, having, a, he had a cross there, and he ministered to uh, those who were uh, from a lot of nefarious backgrounds, uh, drunkards, uh, uh, former prostitutes, there was just a variety of drug addicts that he would minister there in that area. And uh, he had a cross that he had put up, uh, a wooden, big wooden cross that he had set up behind where he was speaking, where they had, had ministered. And this is part of the, you know, the Jesus movement that was going on back then. So there was a lot of crazy things that happened during that time. So, again, they said, if you, if you remember that part, you probably weren't there, right? That's, this is another old saying from that time. But nonetheless, what Arthur Blessed did was this. He felt called the Lord to do something uh, amazing. He said, it's almost like the Lord impressed upon him to take that cross down and start walking with it, start carrying that cross. And so he began from his ministry off of Sunset Strip in Hollywood, California, he started carrying that cross. And he went a little farther. He decided to walk across America carrying that cross. The first one he had, I think it was nearly 100 pounds that he carried. Uh, He's trimmed it down since then. But nonetheless, uh, he went all the way to Washington, D.C., so from California to Washington, carrying the cross, and along the way, just um, encouraging people in the Lord, blessing them in the name of the Lord, and sharing, sharing Jesus with them. Well, not stopping there, he then went around the world, beginning in Northern Ireland, and then on to every continent, including Antarctica. He made the 2015 Guinness Book of World Records for the longest walk. Arthur Blessed, since he started and he's still doing it. 56 years ago he started. Arthur Blessed has walked over 43,340 miles in 324 nations, 
island groups and territories carrying this wooden cross. He says uh, he's been in prison, uh, put in jail and arrested 24 times. Uh, he's had the cross uh, stolen or lost uh, twice. And uh, it's, it's kind of interesting, his, his, uh, his, uh, his pattern. But he goes into about every country. And I thought, well, what about North Korea? You know, places like that. And sure enough, he actually got a special visa to do that uh, some years back. Nonetheless, he's, he's a little crazy, but I think the Lord has used him in that regard. His motto is this. At the cross, the worst of man met the best of God. The worst of man met the best of God. One thing I found interesting is this. As he traveled, and he was kind of like a backpacker, if you will. He had a couple, he had people who would sometimes travel with him, sometimes his own family. But as he would go, he said it was amazing. When he sought a place to rush, or a place to camp out overnight, he said that half of the churches that he went to ask if he could stop for the night and place his cross down, half of them rejected him from being that. But he says, but at every bar or tavern or nightclub, they gladly accepted him and said, sure, you can keep your cross here and it'll be safe. I think that was kind of interesting. Nonetheless, Arthur Blessed is one of a kind. He's hard to pin down because he's always on the move, Okay. Uh, but nonetheless, while most people would probably not take a literal cross and walk across the world like Arthur Blessed did, we are still called by Jesus Christ to take up our cross and follow him. As we look at this passage here today, I want us to be challenged by Jesus' words. And it's words I think that we, we are probably have heard before, you're familiar with. Take up your cross and follow him. Follow me. We, we've heard that before. This is familiar, uh, a familiar command to us. But I think we should stop and pay attention to really what Jesus is asking us to do, and especially in the context of the book of Matthew itself. As we've, remember, we started back in, in December, we kind of went through Matthew 1 and 2, and remember that Matthew is presenting Jesus as king, especially king of the Jews, and that Jesus is worthy to follow as our king. And so this is something we should not take for granted. So this theme is, is kind of mentioned in different ways in the book of Matthew, and especially in Matthew 16, is, is no obse- uh, exception to that. Matthew 16 is very interesting in the way it's laid out, especially in the last half of the book. You see that there are four passages in Matthew 16 that really are deal with the foundational truths of the New Testament. If you want to say, well, what is the New Testament all about? You can get a a snapshot of that here in Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew 16, starting in verse 13 to verse 20, you have the famous passage when Jesus is at Caesarea Philippi with his disciples. And he asked them, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And remember they said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, I'm Elijah, one of the prophets. And Jesus turned it to them, but who do you say that I am? What does Peter say? Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. That's verse 16. Jesus said in verse 17, blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood is not revealed unto thee, but my father, which is in heaven. And so this is amazing. Jesus here is presenting himself here. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. That's his presentation. Again, we have to understand this, that we sometimes really don't understand what does that word Christ mean? We say Jesus Christ. Christ was not Jesus' last name. Mr. and Mrs. Christ had a baby and it was Jesus. That's not how it worked. But a lot of people think that way. Even a lot of Christians kind of think that way. So what exactly are we talking about when we say the Christ? Christ is a title. 
Christ is Christos, which means anointed, and the Hebrew equivalent is Messiah. So when we're saying Jesus the Christ, we're saying Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the anointed. Who gets that, uh, that preeminent title? The Messiah, the king of the world, the king of the universe. Jesus is here, is presented as king. And so in verses 13 through 20, we are presented with the Messiahship of Jesus. That's an important doctrine, a fundamental truth that we must grasp, that what is Matthew's gospel all about is presenting Jesus as the rightful king of Israel and really of the whole world. He is worthy to follow. So that's when we have the Messiahship. And then next... A very key uh, doctrine that we have here, foundational truth, is not just his messiahship, but also the atonement. The atonement. Look with me in verse 21. It says here, from that time forth, this is after um, the, what happened in Caesarea Philippi. Verse 21, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and raised again the third day. So Jesus is here presenting himself as the Messiah who will also atone for Israel, atone for the sins of the people. And it says how he will do that. He will be killed, he'll be raised again the third day. Jesus is doing that. And what is this talking about? This talks about atonement. This is the reason that Jesus came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost, to give his life a ransom for many. This is exactly why Jesus came to this world. And so another foundational truth here in Matthew, in Matthew 16, is not just the Messiahship, but also the atonement. Of course, Peter, and probably the other disciples too, took issue with that. Jesus? No, that's not going to happen. It says in verse 22, Peter rebuked, took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be far from thee, Lord, this shall not uh, happen to thee. In other words, have mercy on yourself. This ain't going to happen. Jesus, don't dunk that way. But what was, Peter, what was Peter doing? He did almost the exact same thing that Satan did at the wilderness wanderings of, or wilderness temptation of Jesus. He says that, you know, if you follow me, if you make these stones into bread, if you cast yourself down the temple, if you bow to me, you will have everything you want. You'll have every need provided. And you don't have to go to the cross to do it. You could take a shortcut, if you will. Jesus, praise God, didn't take a shortcut. He went through and did as he was, uh, what, his, what the will of the Father was, when going to the cross. And so, but we have here the atonement of Christ that we have here in verses 21 through 23. And now, we read that part here in verses 24 through 26, but now, actually starting in verse 17, actually 27, uh, verse 27 of 16, to chapter 17, the first eight verses, we really read about things to come. We read about Jesus being transfigured, and the glory of God revealed. And we see with him Moses and Elijah coming as well. And it's amazing seeing the glory of Jesus Christ. And one day he will come in that radiant splendor and glory. You won't be able to miss it. They saw his glory. That's, this is the point of that. This is talking about eschatology, things to come. One day Jesus will come. First coming, Christ is rejected. Second coming, Christ is accepted. And we will see him in glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We'll see that in its fullest. That's eschatology as well. Okay? And so, here's the thing. We have his Messiahship, Jesus is King. We have his atonement, how, what he came to do. 
We skip ahead and we see the eschatology, things to come, and how he will bring all things under his feet. He will rule and reign supreme as the rightful Messiah, the rightful king over the earth. So my question is this, where does take up your cross and follow me fit into all this? This is what is called, what do we do right now? While we are awaiting, we know that Jesus came as Messiah, as king. We know he atoned for us, and we know that he's coming back, amen? But what do we do right now while we're waiting? And this is where we have this section here of verse 24 through 26 predominantly. This is discipleship. This is what we do in the meantime. This is what we do while we wait for the Lord's return. What do we do while we wait? We take up our cross and follow him. That's what we do. We don't know when the Lord's, the, no man knows the day or the hour when Christ shall return. We don't know that. But we do know this, that we have a job to do in the meantime. And that's simply to follow him. So, let's break down that command here of Jesus here in verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples. And actually, if you compare this in Matthew chapter 8 and later on in Luke as well, uh, Luke chapter 9, uh, you also will see it's not just the disciples, but there's probably other people present as well who are listening in or maybe that Jesus is teaching. But he's addressing his disciples, not just the 12, but those who would desire to follow him. And he says these words, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. How important this is. So first of all, the key word, the first command here is to deny yourself. How do you become a follower of Jesus, a true follower of Jesus? First of all, deny yourself. It starts out here, if any man will come, up, if, will come after me. In other words, if any man will come after me to be a disciple. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower. And we talked about discipleship, what that meant last week. A disciple is a, uh, the Hebrew word is used, uh, talmid, or talmid is a, a student, okay? Uh, one who is a student, a learner, a listener. But Jesus doesn't just have learners and listeners following him. It's also one that will propel them to action as well. That's, that's the beauty of it. And so the, here's the thing. If any man will come after me, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to really be a follower of me, this is what will happen. First of all, we see that this is a choice. It's a, actually a resolution. We talk about New Year's resolutions. We're saying, I am resolved to follow the Savior. Okay? This should be our resolution, that we follow Christ, that we love him, that we serve him. That should be our, our yearly resolution. That should be our daily resolution as well. So this is a resolution. And this is, and this is something that should really get our attention right away, is that this is not a call for, well, if you want to be my disciple, a follower... It's not on your terms. To be a follower of Jesus is not on your terms. Like, yeah, I'll go to church when I want to. I'll read the Bible here and there. And I'll, I'll at least pray over my meal and say my bedtime prayers. I'll do that. Okay? There's a lot of people who, they said, I'll be a follower of Jesus, but they do it in their own way. They do it in their own conditions that they set out for them. But the thing is this, when Jesus calls us for, to be a disciple, to be a follower of him, this is not a call to a passive or casual life. To be a casual or passive Christian is really uh, a, a frustrating life to live, spiritually speaking. You say, oh man, I got it easy, I don't have to do anything. You know, people put on Christian bumper stickers. I'll be honest with you, it's a little bit different up here in the Midwest, but when we lived in the Southeast, in, in the Tennessee or Chattanooga, 
You got, you know, 500 Baptist churches just in Chattanooga. You know, you got a church on every corner, sometimes two on a corner. You know, everyone loves Jesus. Everyone's saved. You know, go out, witness to someone. And so, yeah, I know about Jesus. One thing I thought was interesting, uh, I remember visiting um, one person. I had a, 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 had a contact and went and visited this person and, uh, and uh, invited them to come to our church and try to hand them a tract, things like that. And he, he said, oh, yeah, I, I go to a church. And, and I said, oh, really, which one? And he mentions the name of it. The thing is this, being in the ministry, I knew most of the pastors there in the churches uh, personally. And so I said, oh, yeah, well, how's Pastor so-and-so doing? Huh? Huh? It's like, you don't go to church, do you? Oh, I guess not. See, people, it's more of a cultural Christianity. This is it. We are not called to be a cultural Christian. It's popular to, to follow Jesus? Oh, maybe a little bit, but I'll be honest with you, you get out in the world, and guess what? It's, it's a challenge to be a follower of Christian. It actually costs you something. And we are getting to that point here, even in the United States, and even in Minnesota, even in our own community, it can cost you to be a follower of Jesus Christ. When you really say, I will follow Jesus no matter what. So this is the thing. As a follower of Jesus, this is a choice a resolution, and it's not a passive or casual life. This is something that is intentional. So what is that about? So if any man will come after me as my disciple, and that's a serious choice, okay? Let him deny himself. So denying yourself here is this. It's, it's, when we look at denying yourself, sometimes we think, well, what does that mean? Okay, uh, denying yourself is not a denial of things. Oh, I, I'm going to cut out uh, coffee for, for the month, okay? Sometimes during, you know, Lent, people have said, I'm going to cut out this or that or caffeine or, or chocolate, you know. Uh, who, who would dare cut out chocolate? My word, right? <laughs> but nonetheless, there's things that we would cut out. Well, I, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, I will, uh, you know, maybe when you have a news, New Year's resolutions, we deny ourselves. Uh, a friend of mine, he used to be a gymnast for the University of Minnesota on scholarship. And, uh, you know, for about four years while he was in college, he never once drank a pop. I don't think he ever had any candy, you know, things like that. He kept himself on a regimen because why? He saw the goal in mind. He wanted to, to be on the stand. He wanted to be on the medal stand. That was his idea for the University of Minnesota and the Big Ten Conference. That was his goal. And so he denied himself several things that would probably not hurt him, but to get to that goal you know, um, it would have gotten in his way. But denying ourselves really is not that. That's not what Jesus is really talking about here. It's not a denial of things. Really, the idea of denying ourselves is this. It's really a holy giving of your life to Christ by sharing in his shame, his rejection, and even in his death. But it's with the hope or expectation of sharing his glory. Think about that. Our lives should be this. As one song goes, I love it, it says, Not I, but Christ, be honored, loved, exalted. Not I, by Christ, be known, be seen, be heard. This should be our heart and our resolution, that Christ is honored, not us. And that really, it's not a denial of things. Because guess what? When we said, well, if I just take this out of my life or this out of my life or rearrange my schedule, and now some of those things do help us, in that regard, but that's not what Jesus is saying. It's not a list of do this or don't do that. The idea of denying yourself is to simply this, have the mind of Christ, is the idea. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 1. This is a verse hopefully we know. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, what? A living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is reasonable service. You know, you can't come up to the Lord and say, well, God, I'm going to give you, uh, I, I'm just going to stop uh, uh, eating sweets, you know, this month for you. Okay, I'll do that for you, Lord. You know, what is that to God? The Bible says that we should give our bodies, our entire being to God as a, as a living sacrifice. Holy except of God, which is a reason of service, or your, really your proper worship is the idea. This is an act of worship. By denying yourself, you've got to think of it as an act of worship. You're worshiping the King of kings and Lord of lords. Remember the frame of this is that Matthew is presenting us. Here is the King Messiah. He's worthy to follow. He's worthy of worship. He's worthy of praise. And so this is what we are presented with today, denying ourselves. The next command that we have here is to take up our cross. Take up your cross. As we think about this, what do we mean by this? There's a lot of, it's interesting, there's a lot of different discussion on what this phrase means as well. But generally what this is talking about, taking up a cross. Well, what's the cross? Well, the cross, you have to be, what was it understood as back in that time to the readers uh, there in the first century? If someone says, take up your cross, the cross was an instrument of cruel capital punishment. You understand, if you're a Roman citizen, you did not have to, if you were, let's say, did some horrendous crime, even there, you didn't go to the cross. That was meant for the enemy. The enemies went to the cross. Non-Roman citizens went to the cross. But in, in polite Roman culture, you did not talk on the street corner around the dinner table about the cross, about crucifixion. No more than you would talk about the electric chair at your Sunday dinner this afternoon. You probably wouldn't do that. It's just kind of beneath you. It's not proper to talk about it. Even so, people wouldn't talk about the cross during, in this era as well. The thing is this, what was the cross about? The one who carried the cross. The thing is this, in, in Roman times, when um, someone was given a cross for execution, they would usually sometimes carry the entire cross itself. In most cases, though, they would carry a cross beam, and then they would be tied or nailed onto a tree or something like that. That's generally how it would happen. But nonetheless, whether you take up an actual big cross, what we think of, or a cross beam, that person who carried that cross was going in only one direction. Death. There was no return. It was a serious deal. To take up your cross was to follow in the path of death. That was it. That's how the cross was understood. You oppose that today, today's culture. When people think of the cross, you often find it worn as jewelry, whether it be a necklace or a tattoo or whatever. People ornament themselves with a cross today, not really realizing it that that is a method of execution. But yet, it is a cross that is of glory. And we'll say that why is that in just a moment. You see this, taking up your cross was very important. Another thing I want to say this um, is this, that when we say take up your cross, sometimes people will say this, that you have a cross that you bear. Oh, this is the cross I have to bear. Have you ever heard someone say that before? Several, several. Yeah, that's just the cross I have to bear. You know, I just have this, uh, I'm Norwegian, that's the cross I have to bear, you know. Or make it worse, I'm a Vikings fan. That's a cross we have to bear, right? I think we could all sympathize with that, except Dave, right? But nonetheless, sometimes we trivialize what it means to do that. When we talk about this, I remember um, when we were diagnosed with uh, 
uh, Ben's hemophilia. Uh, when he was, after he was born, we were diagnosed with hemophilia. And someone was trying to be compassionate and helpful to us. And they said, well, that's, that's the cross that God has given you to bear. But I, the more I thought about it, well, there's other families that are non-believers that deal with hemophilia and other bleeding disorders. Does that mean they carry that cross too? And they're not even believers in Jesus? No, that's not what it's talking about. This is not the cross we bear. As some of these, now some of these are burdens that we do carry in life, some cares and as caregivers that we do. But here's the thing, the cross that we bear to, in life is not the difficulties of life. That's not what it's talking about. And I believe when we do that, that trivializes Christ's redemptive work. Okay? When we, when we say that, it really trivializes Christ's redemptive work. What is the true meaning then of taking up your cross? The idea of taking up your cross is really this, that cross-bearing is identification with Christ. I am a follower of Jesus. I, th- this is where my identity is. Galatians chapter 2.20, Paul says this, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, I am crucified with Christ. So the idea of taking up your cross is exactly that. It's taking up, it's, that's a decision, number one. That's a choice, a resolution. And it's not a casual one. It's not a passive one. And it's saying that I am crucified with Christ. I identify with Jesus Christ in his shame, in his rejection, in his death, and yes, even in his future glory. We'll get to that. One thing I also want to point out here is that the Greek word for take here, take up your cross, has more the idea of not just taking up your cross, but literally lifting it up, lifting up so that it can be seen. In other words, we are not secret Christians. We shouldn't be secret Christians. We should be ones who are, can be seen. Doesn't mean to be flagrant about it, but simply to say this, that I am a follower of Christ. When people see me, they should see, should see Jesus Christ. That's the idea that we have there as well. So the thing is this, when we talked about taking up the cross, and, and I want you to kind of think about this. Remember just a few verses before, Peter is kind of rebuking Jesus. Oh, this shouldn't happen to you. You know, pity the thought. Jesus, you're not going to go, you're not going to die. Don't worry about that. When Jesus is saying, take up his cross, it's interesting. He says to take up your cross, but the thing is this, Jesus was facing his own cross. Jesus, actually, I, I love how it says here, but we'll go back in verse 21. From that time forth, Jesus began Jesus to show unto his disciples how he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things, be killed and rise again the third day. In other words, Jesus from Caesarea Philippi in the north of Israel, he set his sights south for the mission that he came to do, to die for the sins of mankind. So Jesus here, when he's saying take up his cross, Jesus faced his own cross. And yet we are called to bear our cross after him. You see here, when we take up the cross to bear the name of Christ, we must be ready to suffer for Christ as well. I remember some years ago when we were ministering in Israel with our ministry project, Nehemiah, we had a, uh, a man from the north, north of Israel. He was a Druze man. Druze is D-R-U-Z-E. It's a kind of a Muslim subset group. It's a minority group that's in Lebanon, Syria, a little bit of Jordan, and um, in Israel. And uh, anyways, this Druze man, it's a, it's a, like it says, a splinter off of, of Islam is what it is. But uh, really amazing people, really amazing, very talented people. But this um, gentleman here, I believe is around 50 years of age, but 
he uh, was, um, he had uh, actually gotten saved. A miracle how that happened, how that he trusted Jesus as his savior. But because of his choice, because the Druze culture is so insulated as far as their belief system. In fact, if you ask a normal Druze person what they believe, they couldn't tell you. Only a certain hierarchy in, the, in that culture actually knows what they believe. That's how secret it is, okay? But this man chose to follow Jesus Christ. He believed in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. He put his faith and trust in, in Jesus. Because of that, he was ostracized from his community. People didn't talk to him. He was actually, they had to shut their windows and all that because people were throwing rocks at their building. Uh, his kids, when they go to school, they were made fun of because the dad was a believer in Jesus. This is the price that they, they were doing. That was a cost for discipleship. And so Project Nehemiah, we were able to give him periodically some food uh, and some other necessities to, to help him and his family sustain. These are people that were being persecuted for being followers of Jesus. There was a, a, a cost to that. I remember one time he came to our office and he came with, um, uh, I never forget, it was a big kind of like a two liter bottle of uh, olives that he had harvested from his, uh, his grove that he had right outside his house. And uh, so he came and brought that to us kind of as a gift uh, for just the, the hospitality that we had given to him. And uh, this brother here, this Druze brother, was one of those who took up his cross and followed Jesus. And guess what? There was a price to pay. And he knew that when he trusted Jesus that he would lose his community, he would lose his family, and he would suffer rejection. He would suffer shame, even at the expense of those he loved and grew up with. Is that the love and resolution that we have? That's not a casual Christian. That's not passive Christianity. That's not passive discipleship, folks. That's a choice to follow him. Now, I don't know if any of us would fall into that or have that type of rejection. Maybe some would. But there is a cost to follow Jesus. There is a price and a cost for discipleship. But let me ask you, is it worth it? According to Jesus, yes. Because the road to glory is really the road to suffering. Jesus Christ suffered for us that he may be glorified. So Jesus calls us to be his follower, to deny ourselves, take up our cross. And the third aspect here in verse 24, to follow me. What does it mean to follow Jesus here? This is talking about literally being his disciple, following him. This isn't just follow the leader type of thing, but literally following him. And what does this mean? Following Christ, following Jesus is really a life of humble obedience. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It's simple Humble obedience. Less, yes, Lord, I love you. I will follow you. I will serve you. I will serve others. The Bible says in Philippians 2, verse 5, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and humbled himself, became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. Jesus Christ humbled himself, and yet was glorified, that every knee should bow, that every tongue should confess, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is what it's about. Following Jesus Christ is really to have the mind of Christ. It's a life of humble obedience as well. By this, by following Christ, by following Jesus, by this we consider ourselves dead unto sin and alive unto Christ. Why? Because it's Christ who lives within me. Praise God for that. It's Christ who lives with me. How can we be obedient to him? How can we be truly humble? It's by having the mind of Christ and recognizing when you are saved, it's Christ that lives within you. Praise God for that. 
So our motivation, what should our motivation then be to follow Jesus? Our motivation to follow Jesus is simply devotion for his sake. It says here in verse 25, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. So the idea is this. What's the motivation here? It's in that, almost at the very end of that verse, for my sake. Our motivation to follow Jesus is devotion for the sake of his name. And in uh, Mark's gospel, the same passage, it actually includes and for the sake of the, his, uh, for the gospel's sake and for his name's sake as well. But nonetheless, it's the message of Christ and the person of Christ who is worthy to follow. With this, devotion leads then to action. Devotion leads to action. In other words, you are not called to be an isolated Christian. Wouldn't it be wonderful? I mean, we just had our own cabin somewhere out in Montana, whatever, and no one bothering us forever. Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? It's nice and peace and quiet, right? But you know what? God hasn't called us to be isolated. He's called us to be a disciple who is visible lifting up our cross. You can lift up your cross, but if you're out in Montana in a cabin, who's going to see it, okay? Now, if God's called you Montana, God bless you, okay? Make sure you invite me out there. All right, so <laughs> with that in mind, though, devotion leads to action. We're not called to be isolated Christians, isolated disciples. Here's the thing. If we love Jesus, it will flow to others. That's why we're not called to be isolated. If you really love Jesus, you're going to love others, okay? So this is the important thing. So with, you know, as we think about this, let me just say here, what is our life really all about? As a missionary to Africa, C.T. Studd once said famously, only one life will, will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. He knew what was eternal, what's worth following, Okay. So as we think about this, look at verse 26 now. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his own soul? For the world, there is immediate gain, but ultimate loss. You know, the Vikings, I don't know if we'll ever get there, but the Chiefs may win a Super Bowl this year. But then what? Okay. You can, my friend who is a gymnast for University of Minnesota, you might get the gold medal. And then what? There's, in this world, there's always things that will keep you wanting. It will never truly satisfy you eternally. But when Christ, with Christ, there is ultimate gain. That's the idea. You see, for the world, like I said, there's immediate gain, but ultimate loss. But for the disciples, there is immediate loss, but ultimate gain. Ultimate gain through Christ and his glory. You see, what is discipleship really all about? I like what one commentator said this. Discipleship is the fellowship of the cross. Discipleship is really the fellowship of the cross. And this becomes fellowship with our Lord. A follower of Jesus, how, how can you become a follower of Jesus? It can only come, you can only become one through the cross. You can only become a disciple, a follower of Jesus, through the cross. Then you take it up. Therefore, the call to follow Jesus is not to waste our life, but to invest our life for his sake. That's the idea. The world might say, man, you're wasting your lives. Man, you could do other things on Sunday. Why do you want to go to church? Why do you want to go and talk to someone about Jesus? Why do you want to read your Bible? Why do you want to take time to pray? Why do you want to support missions? Why do you want to do all these things? Folks, that's not a waste of life. It's an investment. It's an investment. Think of it that way. As we think about that, there's really two calls in this world. There's a call of Jesus Christ, and there's the call of the world. The call of Jesus Christ says to deny yourself. The world says live for yourself. 
The call of Jesus Christ says, take up your cross. The call of the world says, ignore the cross. Jesus Christ says to follow him. The world says, follow us. Jesus Christ says, lose your life for my sake. And the world says, save your life for your own sake. Christ says, forsake the world. And the world says, gain the world. Jesus Christ says, keep or save your soul. And the world says, I'll lose your soul. Jesus Christ, share in my reward and glory. In the world, you will lose your reward and glory. I think it's proper when we think about what it means to follow the cross and take up the cross, lift it high, and follow him, denying ourselves. I point us to the third verse of the hymn, one of my favorite hymns, the old rugged cross. The, old, the third verse says this, To the old rugged cross I will ever be true. Its shame and reproach gladly bear. Then he'll call me someday to my home far away, where his glory forever I'll share. And I think you know the course. And I'll cherish the old rugged cross till my trophies at last I lay down. I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. Is it worth it to follow Jesus? Absolutely. Jesus is King, Messiah, the Christ, and he's worthy to follow. And he says to us, if you're going to follow me, deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. If you're here today, I said, man, that's a high calling. It's a high, really call of the Lord to do that. It says, I don't know if I can do that. Number one, have you trusted him as your savior? Have you looked to the cross for the salvation of your sins and, and the forgiveness that can only come through Jesus Christ and through his shed blood? Have you placed your faith and trust in him? If you've never done that, by all means, start this new year out right and get walking with the Lord that way. Be here today as a believer, take up your cross and follow him. Last week, we had the privilege of baptizing Aaron Zachman. Last week, he took that cross high and he lifted up. Guess what? He got to preach this morning. Tell you what, that's a good way to do it. But will you be faithful, obedient to him, take up your cross, and let's follow Jesus.